Welcome to the Ray Harryhausen podcast, the show dedicated to the life, career and films of a special effects titan. Join us as we host in-depth discussions about the work, influences and legacies of this uniquely talented filmmaker. Brought to you by the Ray and Diana Harryhausen Foundation, we will be delving into Ray's archive to bring a unique insight into his work, including exclusive audio from the man himself. We will be joined by special guests for retrospectives, exclusive announcements and competitions, so this podcast is a must-listen all fans of the world of Ray Harryhausen, animation and classic filmmaking. Very special podcast today. I'm speaking to the writer Marshall Julius about his wonderful book Vintage Geek, which is uh, which says on the cover, uh, Marshall, it's a quiz book. But of course, that's not really true because it's so much more than that. What can you tell us? I suppose the entry level information is that it's a it's a quiz book, but um, I suppose it's it's like a semi autobiographical quiz book with. Uh, and everything you ever wanted to or never wanted to or maybe thought you maybe would be interested one day in learning about you know all the great things uh, that we grew up uh, obsessed with so obviously um, Ray's wonderful films also um, Star Wars but just the original um, trilogy Star Trek but just the 60s show uh, Bond but just the films of Roger Moore I tried to be quite niche about it because you know there's always a, another volume and another volume I could do Sean Connery in the next one I could do Star Trek Next Generation in, in the next one but uh, I suppose my, my key obsessions are all represented here and they don't they're not just my key obsessions I think they're many many people's so maybe you're not obsessed with action movies of the 80s or sci-fi movies of the 50s um, although I'd want to know why you're not obsessed with those things but but, but maybe um, you you really love the uh, the original uh, Dead trilogy George Romero's um, zombie films or maybe you're a big John Carpenter fan or you know all of these things are well represented as well as um, Simpsons, the first 10 years of The Simpsons, uh, Batman, the animated series. And what, and what I do is, um, you know, I'll ask a, a question. The, the answer will be, you know, quite straightforward right at the beginning. But then there'll also be probably a paragraph or a couple of paragraphs or a page, page and a half of extra information. Because you know what it's like when you're talking about something. You, uh, it's not enough to just, you know, give an answer. It's like you want to say, well, but, you know, this also happened and that happened. And then it leads to something else. You go down all these fantastic trivia rabbit well, holes. I, I heckled you by accident. I only realised afterwards that your wonderful book launch that you invited me to in central London. And into, to a crowded room of people, you gave this wonderful um, answer to a question about Mr. Stanley Kubrick and... Uh, and, and a certain incident that happened. And of course, like a, like a, like a, I felt really embarrassed afterwards. I said, I, I, actually, the footnote to that story was... And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, that was fantastic. I didn't know that. And I'll have to add it, you know, to a future edition of the book. That was really, uh, that, was, that was kind of fascinating. And I didn't mind. But that's what we do, isn't it? You just, ha- you know all this stuff and you, and, you, and you want to share it with other people. So look, a quiz book element gives people a chance to prove that they know all this stuff. Um, and uh, if there's some stuff they don't know, I hopefully that they will learn a lot from the book. You know, you could read it if you wanted to, just as a kind of 50 things you, you, you want to know about Tom Baker's Doctor Who or 50 things you want to know about Hanna-Barbera cartoons. You know, it's very nostalgic book, which is why um, every chapter begins with a kind of autobiographical sec- uh, chapter, a paragraph or two about... Um, you know what these uh, what the shows or the comic books or films you know meant to me. I wanted to 
a very specific time and place in it so that you know if, if like us you grew up with this it would maybe take you back there um, if you're younger and you're reading it then maybe it would kind of give you an idea a sense of what it was like to kind of get that first those first few issues of 2000 AD and put the uh, biotronic stickers on your arm instead of saving them and selling them for you know a thousand pounds you know later on because you had no concept of why anybody would want to do that um, now, before we get on to sort of Ray Harryhausen specifically, and we will chat about some of the other topics in there, I just wanted to know from a writing point of view, were these uh, questions you already knew the answers to and sort of put them in the book, or were these questions that you wanted answers, so therefore researched them for the book? A little of both. Um, it's 20 chapters, each one has 50 questions, and 50 questions, I don't know, it doesn't really sound like a lot of questions, but when you actually start researching it, and I didn't want to ask fluff questions that were just so easy that people would scoff at it, um, I suppose I've erred on the more challenging side. Um, I, I knew, I know a, a lot, you know, I've grown up obsessed with these things my whole life, and my kind of, uh, you know, superpower is being able to remember a lot of trivia, a lot of stuff about the films and shows that I love and I watch, um, as opposed to anything useful in real life. Um, so you know, I, I knew a lot that I wanted to share, but everything was scrupulously researched. In doing my research, I also discovered stuff that I didn't know about. And so you know, I asked questions that maybe, you know, there's a very, very few people who could actually know the answers, but that I think that they would be so interested by the answers that they won't mind getting getting them wrong. You know, I, I kind of, um, it's the kind of thing where you can you can you can read the chapter and, and then feel like you know really really know the ins and outs of everything, or at the very least, you could hold a, a really uh, challenging pub quiz. Right now, let's get to the the uh, the elephants in the room, or the Ray Harryhausen in the room. You you met Ray at a similar time that I met him in the I late nineteen eighties. There's yeah. a splendid picture of you in the book with Ray standing in front of some of the beautiful artworks at uh, at his house. How did that happen? That was, um, I think, uh, I think the f- I interviewed him a couple of times. The first time, I think, um, Forbidden Planet had a, a new store open on the Oxford Street. I think it was uh, not the current one, but uh, um, and he was doing some. Um, they, they had asked a few notable figures to, uh, to um, do some interviews on their behalf. Presumably, uh, Ray had a book or something out. I think it was a reissue of the Ray Harryhausen film Fantasy Scrap. That's right. With a that's, kind of a lovely yes. red cover in it. Yes, that's exactly that's I think that. I think that's what it is. So basically, um, I, was just started, I just started working for a magazine called What's On in London. I, mean, I went straight from doing my levels um, straight there. I was you know, kind of very lucky. I, I just really wanted to just get on. And write. That's all I really wanted to do was write about films, watch films, talk about films, and meet the people that made those films. And, and Ray Harryhausen was somebody who I grew up just absolutely adoring. You know, he was the first person who I was ever aware made films. You know, everything else when I was small, they just were something that magically appeared. Yes, but you say that in your book, don't you? You make great, great points of, of noticing that it was Harryhausen where you started to first think about. How things were done. Yes, because I found it so incredibly fascinating. I mean, around the same age, um, I happened to, um, when I was about six, I, I met Tom Baker. But I had no concept of him being an actor. The fact that he was dressed like Doctor Who didn't help me in my, in my delusional state. But um, I had no idea that, that, that these things were made. I, I just thought that they, they appeared, almost that it was like reality television. But I guess I saw a documentary or something, maybe on you know, screen test or one of the very few behind the scenes kind of film shows um, that were on TV. I saw something about Ray and 
and I just found the whole thing kind of absolutely fascinating. And now, of course, everybody's sport for choice. There's so many different ways to uh, bring things um, to the screen, but um, Ray's incredible kind of artfulness and the subjects uh, that, you know that he brought to life, and I, I just found that completely just instantly um, compelling. And, and which is why that of all the filmmakers uh, and special effects people, or you know, he was top billed in his movies. He was the star of his films. He was the reason that people went to went went, went to the. I mean, as, as far as I'm concerned, that was I went to a Ray Harryhausen movie because they had Ray Harryhausen effects in, and because you expect a certain kind of or fantasy and and adventure. And so when I was, you know, I would go to see the the, the, the Sinbad movies or Clash of the Times and stuff, and I was most excited about about you know seeing seeing what. And honestly, I still find um, the, the, those effects and the, the visuals just impossibly kind of um, romantic and wonderful, and, and, I, and I love them. And I, and I don't say that just because it's like the cloud of nostalgia. I think what he did is spectacular and, and unique, and, and kind of remains just as special as it was when he first did this. So all of the um, subjects, the topics and genres, if you like, yeah. within your book, um, I would say probably all of them when they came out were, were considered to be just more commercial fare. So oh, yes. Ray was never really billed as a special Ray Harryhausen film and of course things weren't branded Ray Harryhausen Presents. And when we think about Twilight Zone, the television series, which is beautifully restored now on Blu-ray, um, they would have just been parts of the schedule and I doubt anyone at the network would have thought of them in any higher regard than Peyton Place or anything else that was on at the time. Um, it is interesting, isn't it? You, you've chosen those areas that have endured and if you like, all of the projects that you've, you've contained here have been beautifully restored mm. and now there is a love for those projects. And is it partly because people like yourself and, and me you know, are, are playing our part now that before we were just punters going along and being taken to the cinema, but now we're part of that editorial conversation? I absolutely think that. I think that um, we're, we're writing now, we're the ones who are... Um, reviewing films, running about the shows, and we have to pick what's important to us to for people to remember. That's that's kind of one of my that's kind of my calling in life, I think, being a professional appreciator now is like saying to people, look, you know, you may think, you may consider an old film something that was made fifteen years ago or but you know, actually go back fifty years, sixty years, I mean look at these amazing things. These were the blockbusters of their day. You know, don't discount them. And so yes, I mean maybe when Ray Harryhausen made his movies, he was the only one, him and Charles Schneer and a few others, were the, the only ones, Fari Ackerman, who realised that what they were doing was incredibly special. When Rod Serling made The Twilight Zone, he knew what he was making. When Gene Roddenberry fought for Star Trek and, and actually got um, a second pilot commissioned, you know, he knew that what he was doing was special. And, uh, and I think it took people a little while longer to, to realise that themselves... And, um, and now, now that those things are kind of, well, not ancient history, but now in the past, and, you know, I think, uh, yeah, it's, it's up to us to, to shout about them and to remind people about them and to make sure that they don't, they're not just, you know, obscured by, by history, don't you think? I think, oh, that's, definitely, our, I think yeah. that's our responsibility well, now. Gene Rodenberry's case in point, you know, it, whether it was a fight with classic series 
or on motion picture, then it was taken off motion picture after Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan came along, then it was another fight, and you know, fight is the best way to describe it, with the networks to get next generation going, then to keep it going, and there was, you know, when you look back and watch all of the DVD extras, it seems incredible to us to imagine, why didn't they just take Gene Rodenberry's word for it, because after all he was right, and, and the same with Ray, and, and you know, these other great program makers like Rod Serling as well, um, because they have been proved right by television history and by people who commentate. Um, but it must have been frustrating for them at the time to suspect or know that they are right and yet are still having to have the same dunderheaded conversations with network executives who think sci-fi's for boys, this won't play to a family audience, this won't play in this time slot. The sorts of conversations I have now with commissioners on different channels, you know, mm-hmm. this won't play to Netflix people, John. It's like, I know. You know, you're the BBC. You shouldn't be thinking about Netflix and streaming services. You're you're a part of passive scheduling, which is a different experience. Absolutely. Why why are you trying to? Why is an Apple trying to be an orange? You know, and as long as you're trying to be something you're not, then you're really not going to get hold of what you're doing. So that frustration, I imagine, is in all of the commissioning and green lighting processes for all of these different genres within your book. And if people say, well, no, what about Walt Disney? He had his problems with RKO and distribution in the early days where they thought his films were, were not only juvenile but less relevant because there was no human actors. Well, in my Disney chapter, there's a, there's a question, there's a spoiler, so it's, it's like you only have to know 999 now if you listen to the answer here. But uh, Snow White, their first, uh, first feature-length animation, that was known around Hollywood as Disney's folly. You know, everybody thought that he was a complete clown. I mean... Um, Gambling the studio um, on, on something that nobody had seen before, that nobody thought nobody's going to want to sit, you know, down for an hour and a half or however long it was, you know, to to watch a, an animated feature. They thought it was completely crazy. Of course, the, the year after it came out, they're like falling over themselves to honour him and giving him special Oscars, and you know, it's like suddenly Disney had arrived. But, uh, but then that same mindset returns, even with his own brother, when he wants to do Disney World and have a physical representation of this world. They were like, no, no, this is the new folly. And so everyone was looking to be the naysayer, to be the one to be the one to predict his downfall. And that's, that's a bit horrible, isn't it, within the creative communities that non-creative people are looking to either trip up or wait for someone to fall so they can point and say, <laughs> But isn't that always the way? Isn't it? If you have a you know you have a crazy dream. Look, it took me twenty years to get commission to write this quiz book because I didn't want to self-publish. I wanted to find a, a publisher who kind of believed in it enough to uh, to publish it because that's that's that was important to me. You know, I needed. I felt like if I can't convince a publisher to 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 you know go with me on this journey, then um, you know maybe I'm crazy. But I never gave up, and I I, I pitched it. I pitched the hell out of it um, forever. Um, maybe th- these people they wanted to do something different. You know, Ray and uh, and Rod Serling and, and Disney. You know, um, you know they wanted to do something different they wanted to do something new they had this tremendous passion for it and the, the early adopters of the things that they created were people like us were people who don't just go into a cinema or don't just turn on the TV and watch something and then turn it off and go okay that was pleasant and go off and you know just go to sleep and, and that, that, that's it you know we're, some, we're, we're kind of people who you know some sort of spark goes off and we're like oh my god this is the greatest thing I've ever seen I'm going to totally devote my life to this and it's teachings and telling everybody about it you know every minute of the day and, and just we completely flip out and go you know from naught to 100 miles per hour in, in, in no time at all but that's 
that's what we do. You know, we, we're kind of inspired by the passionate work of passionate people, and we're equally passionate about it. And that's what I wanted my book to express. That's why I, I pushed for it so hard because it's not just a, a simple kind of Q and A thing. It's uh, it is it, honestly, it's, it's I don't know. It sounds kind of corny, but it's 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 an expression of lifelong love for all the things that I'm just completely transfixed by, and I wanted to. I wanted to communicate that in a book. So the Q&A, it's like, yes, it is basically a quiz book, but it's also full of kind of love and nostalgia for, for you know, kind of everything um, that I grew up with that I'm still in love with today. So Ray was proved right, as was Rod Serling and Matt Groening and, uh, and Gene Rodenbury. Do you feel in that position now where you're waiting for the needle to prove right or wrong that Marshall did the right thing with the book? <laughs> well, not to want to put myself in, in, in their company exactly. Um, it's the same wheelhouse, though, isn't it? Because the expectation of if someone hasn't done a book like this before and there isn't a book like this, does that mean that there shouldn't be and there, there isn't a market for one? Or have you found a, a new market? I hope so. Um, I remember, um, I'm not, like, admitted this publicly, but my, my um, publisher, Hannah, um, is through September Publishing, which is a wonderful um, company. Um, Hannah said to me, uh, Marshall, just, you know, after I'd signed the dotted line and had the contract and was about to start, she said, uh, Marshall, why don't you, you know, look at what's on the market, um, get a bunch of quiz books, um, you know, read them through, see the kind of things that are published, get a sense of those. And I said, absolutely, Hannah, of course I will. But I actually didn't do that at all. I'm very dare you, sir. Because I knew. Send, send the money back, send the contract. <laughs> I'm sure there's, if you put the contract to the light, I know we publishers, there's something that says, if you don't do as you're told. <laughs> well, because it it's like I thought, I, I'm certain that there's nothing like this, and I do, have no interest. I know exactly what I wanted to do. I had no interest in emulating anything else. And so... Um, I, I, I didn't. I just um, I sat down and started writing the book that I wanted to write. And um, I don't think any other quiz books um, begin with a you know long a long introduction about uh, you know meeting Tom Baker you know when you're six and, and, and Ray Harryhausen and, and, and watching films you know on the sofa with your mum who's a huge nerd and, and taught me everything about old films and gave me a, a love for old films. And uh, but I think that 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 really sets the scene for, for, for what I wanted the, the rest of the book to bring. So I, I have no interest in what other people had done. I, I wanted to create my own thing. Um, and so, yeah, maybe in that respect, it's, it's like the other creators, like it's Ray, it's, it, it, it's you know, Serling, it's Disney. It's like in that one respect, it's like they weren't interested in what had come before. They just had this like kick-ass idea and they wanted to, uh, and they wanted to do it. And then they just hoped that other people there'll be other people like them and, and there were so it's like I, I know I I have this I'm very lucky to have built up this big Twitter following and I kind of um, it's I don't so much think of it as a following as a, as a community because I made lots of friends lots of made lots of wonderful connections um, through it I made lots of uh, kind of nerd chums who I would never have known um, otherwise and everybody seems um, into it and excited about it and so um, so we'll see. They just need to put their hands in their pockets and shell out a few quid. Oh, well, this is a conversation I'm always having at the foundation. You know, how much are we providing free content for people looking? And I thought you were going to call your followers disciples there for a moment. I thought we'd, we'd, we'd kind of gone on to another plane. But you are um, effectively a social influencer, aren't you? And, and, and you know, social influencers now are, are much more... Um, are taken much more seriously by, by the, the, if you like, the media community. So you have like a blue verification tick, I do. which is not small potatoes. That's like the, uh, 
the equivalent of the MBE or the OBE in the, in the social media world. <laughs> For social obsessives, it is. Well, it yeah, is, that's though, true. Um, it is. So what was it like when you got your blue tick? Where were you and what was happening? Well, it was, it was exciting because um, suddenly... Um, when I was working, uh, and I've always worked as a, as a journalist, um, but I've also done you know side things. I've helped in PR and marketing campaigns, and whenever you know they need sort of a nerd perspective, or they need a word monkey to come along and you know write a few paragraphs about this or that with some enthusiasm, they kind of uh, get me along. And uh, yeah, my my, um, my Twitter um, kind of following was growing. And um, to get the blue tick, it, it just seemed like uh, all the hard work that I kind of um, poured into that. Because it is work. I mean, you do have to I, I spend a few hours a day. Um, maybe it doesn't seem like it. But, um, you know, I put a lot of effort into uh, creating something, you know, fun that people will enjoy and share. And you get anointed then with the blue tick. Because you don't sort of apply for it or after so many hours you're entitled to it. It's something that they kind of twist us sort of randomly anoint. I say randomly. No, it is pretty anoint, random. Look, they anoint people who they think are, are true persons, but also who are actually doing something to promote things in a positive way as well. So well, I, I try and... I try and um, so it's like a positive. validation as well. Yes, with yeah. the occasional kind of... Uh, damning uh, 280 character film review uh, aside I, I try and be uh, positive at all times I don't touch politics I don't ever get Trumpy or Brexity because you know let's face it there are millions of people who do that um, I get a lot of comments that um, you know I'm the one place on Twitter that people feel like you know it's sort of like a safe place for nerds like uh, it, it's not trolling it's not miserable it's uh it may sometimes be a little offensive. I may not always be culturally appropriate. I did spend the whole day dressing up like a pirate last week, and uh, not as a, a Viking last week, without thinking that you know maybe there'd be some uh, Vikings out there who would be who would be know, pillaging think. somewhere, and we'll stop to look. Look, look what he's doing! It's, it's like this isn't the way we rape and burn village. down villages. You know, taking off their the horns when in, in, in shock and amazement. But but you know, I think for the most part, um, I just kind of. Um, try and have some fun with it and, and when I in the past was working on things that I wasn't particularly thrilled to be working on um, I would put more effort into my Twitter feed because that was a place where I could really express myself and uh, you know people say Marshall have you got a website and I said well Twitter is my website because Twitter is the one thing that everything I do kind of feeds through that and that's actually kind of like a that's truly who I am you know that may be terrifying but uh, all, all that sort of uh, nonsense and, and nerdy kind of fan love is like it all goes through it all goes through Twitter well when I used to ask Ray about comments and about people and showbiz and gossip and that sort of thing he, he'd often if he had something negative to say he'd say I, I have nothing to say or I'd rather say nothing at all than say something negative and, and certainly in terms of the foundations page and our, our Twitter feed because we represent Ray's legacy uh, we don't get into any sort of Twitter fights with people. Mm. But people don't actually start Twitter fights with us either. But if there was a suggestion that people are coming along saying, oh, I can't believe you like this new film or not, or not that new film, it's not really a, a forum in terms of the foundation for us to no. get involved. Um, but we try and, and stay relevant. With regards to the Lost Movies book, um, which came out last month, I'm not convinced Ray would be that happy to see all of the films he didn't get made into one volume he'd be pleased to see people paying for it but he'd, he'd also I think he'd be um, I, 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 I think he'd be maybe slightly remorseful 
um, about the amount of films because it's quite thick. It's like mm. an Argos catalogue. There are a tremendous <laughs> number of projects that he clearly put a lot of time and passion into that, that didn't happen. But, and, and I have to say that your book is incredibly beautiful. Um, Thank you very much. I think it is a catalogue of other people's failures, not Ray. I think you look at that book and you think, you pitched, you know, he pitched that. He pitched the idea for the War of the Worlds that ended up, you know, George Powell ended up making. But, you know, he pitched the most fabulous um, effect-strewn extravaganza. And and that wasn't taken. You know, you see the other projects that he'd drawn, these wonderful illustrations for you, and you think... Him not getting to make those was not his failure. That was the failure of all the people he pitched to not having the vision or the, or the imagination or, or the passion to go along with him on that journey. So not once did I look at that book and think, um, oh, you know, this is, this is um, you know, a catalogue of Ray's kind of failed projects. I, I looked at it and I thought, you stupid bastards. Why didn't you make that film? Couldn't you see how incredible that would have been? You know, if you'd funded that, we could have had twice the number of Ray Harryhausen movies if there were enough hours in the day for Possibly. Ray to be able to do that. But is it not the case that he's taking this linear road? So if he'd gone to War of the Worlds, there may have been no Seventh Voyage of Sinbad. Maybe. Or if he'd gone to Conan, there would have been no Jason and the Argonauts. If, you know, there may have been no later... Uh, that's true. So that's true. It's 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 which path do you take? But maybe if he'd um, but maybe if he'd had a few more um, yeses along the way, um, he, may, he may have adapted his um, hermit-like uh, approach to making those films. I mean, I can't believe that he would uh, make those films alone in his you know in in, in at home in his in his uh, studio. I mean, it, it beggars belief. You think today, when you look at, say, the latest Marvel movie or anything, and, and you see there's five or six minutes of the... of the uh, Five or six or more minutes of the end credits are special effects people. And it's just literally, you know, thousands, sometimes tens... I they mean, come up in blocks on the side. Enormous blocks. Like, read I know, three, four, five columns at a yeah. time. And you think all of those did that? Like there was, like there was one guy, uh, one, one whole team that maybe did, you know, fire effects or smoke mm. effects or mm. sky effects or, or you just know, there was, smoke off the fire. Yes, exactly. And then yeah. there was somebody, you know, there, there were probably thirty people who, you know, in, in the latest um, Guardians of the Galaxy, who just had to do, you know, the raccoons. Fur, or I mean, it, it's just, and when, and when you, when you think that, okay, actually, Ray, you know, he built, he built the models himself. I mean, he had a little bit of help here and there, but I mean, hardly. And then he would animate it all by himself for months alone, you know, away from Hollywood in England, and that blew my mind when I actually got the chance to interview him and found out that he lived in Knightsbridge. I mean. My God, you know, here I was. If I'd known you were like so close to where I lived, I would have stalked you years ago. So, I, I, I think that what he did was absolutely, you know, kind of beyond compare. Really. Which, which things most surprise you from Lost Movies book? Because some of those things, like Force of the Trojans and Sinbad Goes to Mars, would have been within this sort of the zeitgeist of you reading Starlog and Starburst and hearing these sort of titles. Yeah. So, were there any films in there that really surprised you? Well, I, I I saw one, one when I read about uh, the War of the Worlds, and um, I because I, I I actually um, got a few you know War of the Worlds questions in my fifties sci-fi um, chapter, so that was kind of foremost in my mind when I first looked at it. And then I saw there was some actually there's some actually there's some footage, isn't there, of uh, uh, test footage uh, that Ray did, and 
so that was I really felt like uh, I would have loved to have seen that I, I think that uh, I think they did a, a, a great job with what they had at the time and I think the movie turned out fine but I think that it would have been you know on another level entirely if Ray had been given the same budget that they had I think that he would have produced something I mean really really fine and uh, you know that's that's of all of, all of them um, that was that's the thing that I would have loved loved to him to see but I suppose what I was building up before was uh, that um, you know the, the Ray he uh, he did everything himself but maybe if he'd gotten the budgets and, and, and a few more yeses maybe he could have found a few kind of like-minded people whose talents he respected enough to um, to oversee a few other projects so that we would have had maybe you know a few more of his projects working with other people because you know nobody but Ray ever wanted to do everything themselves although I totally understand that you know if you want to if you want to do something properly mm. um, you know you feel like you have to have to do it yourself you know why you shouldn't necessarily rely on somebody else but it just it just seems absolutely impossible the even concept that somebody would do something as colossal as Ray um, what, what he set out to achieve and do it all by himself I think they're reversing a palace of your books now, but extra orders for, for foreign <laughs> yes. markets, so people can hear that in the background. Now, in true quiz, uh, vintage geek quiz book style, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. It's, they're not the kind of questions you might be expecting, but... Oh, my um, God. What, what, I knew this would happen. No, no, no. These, these are the, you do know these answers. Oh, okay. Whether I can tease them out of you is another question. Okay. So, um, your two favourite Harryhausen films... Um, I would say Jason and the Argonauts more for the effects than the movie itself and the Hydra's Children and the Hydra's Teeth and I mean I just find that I, maybe it's, it's a super obvious one to say um, but I just I just love that it's spectacular also uh, Valley of Glangy because I think that uh, I, I just love the idea of um, dinosaurs and cowboys and, and I think it's, it's, it's got a it's got a great soundtrack I, I like uh, James Franciscus I, I like the vibe of it as a film I think it's I think it works really well and of course it's got the most um, you know, amazing dinosaur effects in it and only very recently having its soundtrack discovered and released on uh, on CD by Entrada, the good mm. folks down at Entrada. It's amazing what, what gets found. This is putting you on the spot. Your least favourite Harryhausen film and why? Oh, okay. Um, well, I actually find Clash of the Titans <laughs> the hardest to watch because... <laughs> oh, I know that's... I, I don't know. I, I don't have a least favourite, but I actually. I'm I, expecting Maggie Smith's head now to wobble and fall into the room, and it's like if, if that happened, I'd just stand up. I'd be nodding. I'd be like, "She's right. She's right. Take him to the rocks. Take him to the rocks." <laughs> well, I, 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 I mean, I love all the effects for it, but I, I do think that um, some of the act, the acting was kind of. I, I found it quite quite wobbly. I think it's I think it's a little bit long. I mean, I loved it when I was a kid. I also think uh, Bubo is the Jar Jar Binks of his generation. <laughs> But um, I, I, I think that uh, we'll be giving out your home address for replies <laughs> for the end of this podcast. So <laughs> restoration will be coming. I, I, I think that um, there's a certain, um, perhaps because uh, I was already you know very obsessed with films and I was going to the cinema a lot, um, and I was uh, perhaps a bit more critical of that because I watched it was a little bit older. Whereas all of the others, I have a certain kind of nostalgic uh, you know feeling about. I do love. Um, Clash of the Times. If I have to pick a least favourite, though, it's probably the one that I watch um, 
the least. I just find you know uh, Harry Hamlin and, and, and a little bit um, wooden. That's I fine. actually find yeah. it, you know, often with uh, Ray's yeah. films, I think that the actors were less realistic than, the, than the, you know, if only he could have just actually animated them a bit more. Well, in 1973, the budget for uh, Golden Boy to Sinbad was around $900,000. Mm. And less than 10 years later, Clash of the Titans, over $15 million. Mm. So that's like 17 times the budget. Uh, and there is a lot more effects and there are a lot more locations and actors and so on. Um, and if you like, the calibre of actor is higher than, than in other films. So, um, but when the film came out, it was heavily criticised. It was Ray's most financially successful film mm. by, by every measure. Um, but it is interesting, you know, you, you share a common view, actually, uh, Marshall. Oh, really? Too, so, <laughs> you, know, I'm, well, you really put me on the spot there. Oh, my God. So what's your least favourite Ray Harry? How very dare you, sir? Should I be... <laughs> You're going to put me on the spot. Spanish from the foundation. Um, if, if I think I'm in, in, in sync with some of the uh, Foundation's fans when I say that Sinbad and the Eye of the Tiger mm. doesn't work for me as well as the other Sinbad films and doesn't work as well as Clash of the Titans and the stop motion sequences are beautiful and really effective but if you read the Lost Movies book you'll discover that actually Sinbad and the Eye of the Tiger is the Frankenstein's monster of the Harryhausen world because it was the really the only time when the studio picked the phone up and said oh we want another one. So opening weekend of Golden Voyager Sinbad um, in the early 70s, Columbia were like, this is fantastic, it did stellar business. And they were like, let's have another one straight away. So they kind of stitched together things that were cut from Golden Voyage and things they thought wouldn't work. There's a, a sequence of the Neanderthal man mm. fighting the centaur that was cut from Golden Voyage. Well, Neanderthal man became Trog, ended up in, in Eye of the Tiger. Um, in fact, there was deleted scenes of him in a suit, like Minotaur in a suit on mm -hmm. location, and they were cut from the film that are in the new book. Um, so it, it's probably Ray's least favourite in terms of story, and in terms of music, in terms of direction, and also in terms of lighting. There's a kind of a, what's called a pre-light that was done that gives it a sort of a, a, a TV movie look. It looks mm -hmm. like an episode of Heart to Heart or something. Um, but, you know, and, and yet... The budget on that was three and a half million mm. compared to Golden Voyage, which was 900,000. So people are always surprised that with more money, you don't necessarily get a, a better story or a more spectacular adventure. Oh, absolutely. And that's why I think with Clash, I think that although they had the money, I think there was there, there was some, some, there were lasers every now and then in, in, in the um, up in uh, heaven. Wherever you know, where all oh, it looked like a are. disco where, where Zeus yeah. was. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. On Mount Olympus, there you go. Mount Olympus. So I had to struggle for that. We but looked yeah. on Google Maps for the answer. It was a little bit disco-y. <laughs> I thought that it certainly it had a certain eighties um, kind of naffness. The things that I don't, not particularly crazy about from the eighties that was there. I also think that it was maybe, um, you know, was maybe trying to please audiences at the time who were becoming used to other things and uh, that it was it felt less like a Ray thing in some respects but I think your answer was way better so I'm gonna, I'm gonna go, get behind that as, as a final question this is sort of putting you on the spot as well what about a Ray Harryhausen quiz book I think that's a wonderful idea I mean you know I've got 50 questions um, in there um, about Ray and I think it's it's a kind of a, an overview of everything he's done but there's so much fantastic information and uh, so many great projects that I would love to read that but I think you're the guy to write that John I think definitely I would not even begin to um, to try and out, out you know quiz, out quiz you not, not for a second 
and Marshall Julius, thank you very much. And if you'd like to buy Vintage Geek, uh, the quiz book, it's available from all good retailers, Amazon and all the usual outlets. So thanks very much. You're welcome. Thanks for having me on. Copyright in the Ray Harryhausen podcast is owned by the Ray and Diana Harryhausen Foundation, a registered Scottish charity, number SC001419, 2019. This recording may not be reproduced in whole or in part without written permission from the Foundation. The views expressed within these podcasts do not necessarily reflect those of the Foundation, its trustees or employees. For further terms and conditions, please contact us at rayharryhausen.com where you can also find our Facebook and Twitter links.